Hey, welcome to New Through 30. This is, a, this is not just a series, it is truly an experience where we all together are reading through the New Testament, the entire New Testament, in just 30 days. How, how many of you are, by raising your hand, all caught up and current with the reading? Anybody? Come on now! Come on now! All right, so... That's a bunch of reading, isn't it? I mean, let's just all be honest. That is a blitz of reading. Now, for all of, the, for all of you that are not caught up, let me encourage you. There is no condemnation or guilt, right? There is only encouragement to just keep going, right? Uh, you'll find that your busy schedules, all these things going on, it can be hard to read that much scripture all in a week. So I would encourage you, don't give up. Don't, don't uh, lay guilt on yourself. Just keep going and uh, get through the New Testament and prioritize the word of God in your life. I, I hope and I uh, believe that it will bear much fruit as you do that in your life. Uh, I know that for my life, as I have done my best to, to stay all caught up, and uh, we were supposed to have finished Romans this week. I am through Romans 12. So I have just a few uh, chapters of Romans that I'm going to read today, right? So that I can, I can come before you and, and as your leader, be all caught up, right? Uh, so that's, that's where I'm at. And uh, I would just encourage you to really keep going, uh, keep picking it back up and prioritize the word of God in life. And uh, we're, we are praying that the word of God in your life will not return void, but rather it will have the power of God in your life. So uh, we're really excited about that. Now, Many of you, as you were coming in, you made a comment about how nice I look today. I want to say thank you. And uh, you may wonder why I'm I'm dressed uh, all all fancy-like. And uh, the answer to that is quite simple. When you look good, you preach good. So, uh, I, this, this passage that I'm preaching on this morning is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. And so I thought, I'm breaking out the suit coat. Also, it's, uh, it's brand new, too. So I was real excited to wear it. I still, you know when you're a kid and you get a new pair of shoes and you run around the house and you can jump faster and run faster and all that? I still got a little bit of that in me. Every time I get a new shirt, I'm like, I'm going to watch TV in my new shirt, you know? <laughs> So, so this week, uh, you know, while we were watching TV and, and I was uh, in my boxers and my suit coat, you know what I'm saying? So I was looking good. I look good, you know. And so that's, that's how it is. So <laughs> some of you are like, no more, right? No more details. No, I promise you I'm all done there. Uh, but seriously, the, the, what we're going to do today and the, the passage of Scripture that I'm going to preach on today is absolutely one of my favorite passages. As we're walking through the New Testament and preaching through the New Testament, we're going along this theme of Jesus is. And uh, we have, have talked about Jesus being sufficient to meet our need. We've talked about Jesus uh, being a friend to sinners. That this idea of the church kind of shoving ourselves into a culture of society and then kind of... Uh, of Uh, blushing while the world goes on sinning is not at all what Jesus Christ did as he fully engaged our sin and and took it upon himself to die upon the cross. And so it is the role of the church to engage sin in our culture uh, with the hope of Jesus Christ, not to make people an evangelism project, but to allow the love of God to compel us towards loving people. And that's what we talked about last week. And uh, so this week, I want to talk about Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is our Savior. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I want to read verses 17 through 25 for you. Uh, 17 through 25 in 1 Corinthians. 
It says this. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us and those of us who are being saved, it is the very power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man and where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block for Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Now I want to focus in this morning on one particular verse and that is verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the very power of God. I want to try to unpack that uh, because I believe that has incredible implications for our life. Now, if this is written to... um, to the Corinthian church. Now, one of the great things about reading the Gospels, and particularly the New, Te- the New Testament, all the New Testament, in these huge sweeps, is that as you read Acts, you, you read Paul's journeys to Corinth and Ephesus and Galatia. And then you go and you read his letters, the Ephesians, the Corinthians, right? And what you begin to realize is that these are real people in a real place at a real time in history, rather than all these letters being theological textbooks that have, happen to have the name of Corinthians or the name of Romans, right? And so what we come to realize is as we approach this book is that this is written to a real church, to real people in a real time in history. It would not be very, very far-fetched in comparison as a pastor or a mentor writing a letter to us and saying, this is what you're dealing with. And this is what, what is going on. And so as we look at this kind of historical context, this very real historical context, if you were to walk down the streets of Corinth in this ancient period, what you would find is is that wisdom is, is, is king. This idea of philosophy and wisdom absolutely rules and idolizes in the culture. In the same way that, that us and, and our culture has a tendency to idolize uh, Hollywood stars and musicians and all of that, uh, these folks would, would idolize philosophers and, and, and wise guys or wise men, you know? Um, so wise guy, huh? You know, you kind of, so if you were to walk down the streets, you would actually see these gatherings of, of philosophers and, and wisdom teachers giving their message and, 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 and proclaiming their particular view of the world and their particular philosophy and all of these kinds of things. And it was absolutely entertainment for them. It was king in Corinth was this idea of wisdom. And what happens is that the church in Corinth, the Corinthian church, is actually beginning to fall into this idea of, the, of that wisdom is, in fact, king, that philosophy is king, and, and they're Christianizing it a little bit, right? And so what we find is that in the first part of Corinthians, just before this, Paul is saying, some of you are saying, I follow Paul. Others of you are saying, I follow Apollos. Some of you are saying, I follow Cephas. All of these kinds of things. And so this wisdom, this idea, 
idea of wisdom being king and these different perspectives is sneaking into the church. Now, of course, wisdom is very important, and we're going to talk about what kind of wisdom we actually need to uphold today. Uh, but so they're, they're coming into this, and it's actually causing these divisions, right? So 1 Corinthians, as a letter, is addressing divisions in the Corinthian church. And the first division that he addresses is the Christianizing of this, this idolization of wisdom. Does that make sense? Right? And so... He's saying it's, it's causing division because the, these folks in the church are saying, well, I, I follow Paul and his philosophy and his teaching. Others are saying, yeah, well, I, I mean, I like Paul, but I, I really, I'm following Apollos. Or I'm following Cephas because I like what he has to say about this. And, and what Paul does is he says, no, no, no. What, what he says is actually, I have, have not come to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I've not come to do it in human wisdom, lest the power of the cross uh, be, be nullified, right? And so in this division, and, and this idea of Christ moving away from the center, and, and these divisions of, of moving toward human wisdom, what Paul is saying is that's nullifying or dumbing down the power of the cross in your life. And so he approaches them, and he gives them this sort of theological foundation by saying, The message of the cross or the wisdom of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the very power of God. And this is precisely how Paul begins to to address this division in the Corinthian church. Is he lays for them a theological foundation that I want to begin to explore here this morning. So the question I want to start with, has, how many of you have heard, and, and you don't need to raise your hand, but I think this is a pretty common thing. A lot of times we hear, as we're speaking with friends or, or coworkers or fellow students, we hear this, this idea. What in the world does Jesus' death have to do with my life today? Right? Have you ever heard that? And maybe not explicitly in that way, but, but a lot of times implicitly. It's kind of like the Christian message, yeah, that's great, but what in the world does this guy's death 2,000 years ago really have to do with my life right now? Right? And, and so we kind of we have this, this idea and this question of what in the world does this have to do with my life today? In fact, many people would look at the cross and they would say, that is pure foolishness to believe that some peasant's life, some carpenter's life 2,000 years ago makes a difference in your life today. Sounds like foolishness to me. And a lot of times what we hear is, is the, the argument of logic, right? If we're all just logical, we won't be people of faith. And I know you've heard that message. I know you've heard that message. Faith is completely illogical, people will say, because the cross is foolishness. There's nothing to it. Nothing to it at all. Well, to the ancient world, it, it, it really seemed foolish as well. Because when, when Israel was anticipating a Messiah, they had been under oppression for many, many generations. And what they were, their hope and their goal and their desire for a Messiah was for a Messiah to come in with an iron fist, right? And start freeing them through, through brutal violence and, and, and through ruling with this kind of iron fist. So let's just come in. Let's wipe out the oppressors. Let's set us free. And, and that's the person that will be our Messiah. But Jesus doesn't come in and do that. He doesn't come in with an iron fist of victory. 
He comes with an end with a radically different message, a radically different kind of Messiah. And so even to the ancient culture, in the same way in our current culture, they looked at the cross of Jesus Christ and they said, that's foolishness. That's not the real Messiah. It can't be because he didn't come in ruling with violence and an iron fist. Instead, what they got was Jesus who died on a cross. Now, um, we, we get this Messiah, not who rules with an iron fist and with brutality and with violence to set uh, people free, but rather we get the Messiah who stands in the middle as the mediator between God and humanity. Now, I drew this picture last fall, but I think it's so critical to our understanding of who Jesus is and his work on the cross, so I want to draw again. Uh, for those of you that can't see it, like you ladies here and, and those guys, you're not, I apologize, you're not going to be able to see Actually, let me do this. If I move it up here, maybe that'll make it better. Oop, don't fall it, don't drop it on my head, please. All right, is this better? All right, now I'm moving away from my notes, so I need the Holy Spirit, all right? You guys pray for me. Okay, so let me tell you this. This is a typical view of, of Christianity and, and Jesus' work on the cross. God is here, right? And man is here. And we talk about this, there being this gap. And in fact, there is truly a gap between us and God. Uh, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans says. And the typical view of salvation and what Jesus' work on the cross is that, that, that Jesus is, in fact, the hand of God. Sorry about the hand. Um, <laughs> One, two, three, four. Oh, that still works. We still ended up with five fingers. That's good. So what we, what we typically view is that, that Jesus is, in fact, the hand of God reaching down to man in love. Can you guys see that? That's the typical view of salvation. Now, this, in fact, is true. There's nothing untrue about this. But it's not complete. It's the traditional view, but I don't believe that it's the biblical view. Because what what we really find in Scripture is that it's not just this. There's actually another piece of the puzzle. So if we still have God here, and we still have man here, because Jesus is fully God, he can, in fact, and has the right to be the hand of God, reaching down to man in love, saying, This is the love of Christ offered to you, the salvation and the forgiveness of your sins. That is the truth and the good news of the gospel, but it's not complete according to Scripture. Because what we also find in Scripture is that God, Jesus, is fully man as well. See, the picture that we have traditionally had and the way that we've operated is that Jesus is fully God. We're comfortable with that. But we're not so comfortable when Jesus becomes fully man. And so what we need to do is we need to place Jesus right here in the middle as the mediator between God and man. So that this is still true. So Jesus is God's hand reaching down to man in love for the salvation and the forgiveness of our sins. But here's the other true part of the gospel that we so often miss. Because Jesus Christ is also 100% and fully man and yet lived a sinless life. He represents man to God. And so when scripture and Paul talks about putting our faith in Christ, 
It's a way of saying that when we place our faith in him, the sinless one, God looks at us and does not see our sin and our brokenness, but rather our righteousness. 2 Corinthians verse five, chapter 5, verse 21. He made him who knew no sin to become sin so that through him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen? So, so this, is, it's not, this is not that this is incorrect. It's that this is a fuller picture of Jesus Christ. And so we look at this question, what in the world kind of difference does this death of Jesus make in my life today? This is the answer. And this is the truth. Jesus Christ was the only God man, fully God, fully human, able to take upon the sin of the world upon himself so that he might represent us to God and God to us simultaneously as the mediator of salvation. That is the good news of the gospel. And what happens is that we li- if we live in here, then Jesus only covers our sin. If we live here, Jesus cleanses our sin and we take on the righteousness of God and victory in life is possible. Now, that's pretty heavy stuff for the very first part of the sermon. I got an hour left, so we're just starting. But that's the picture that I want us to have of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. I don't want us just to live here any longer. I want us to realize that through Jesus Christ, you and I take on his righteousness. And it's a powerful, powerful message of God. Now, as we look at that, then we begin to understand that Jesus matters today and he took on the sin of the world that we may have the righteousness of God, that we may know God and that we may become his righteousness. That message, while it may seem foolish, is actually the portal to the power of God in your life. Because this is a message of self giving love where Jesus stands in the gap and he stands perfectly in the middle. Now this message of self-giving love is actually quite different. And so Paul, again, I, I, love, I love his terminology and his phrasing. The message of the cross is absolute foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, this becomes the very power of of God in our lives. What Paul is essentially doing is he's comparing two kinds of wisdom and two sets of wisdom in our lives, right? And, and what we have in our culture is that everything that you come across, every song that you hear, every, every advertisement that you see, every movie that you hear, and, and Oprah, they are all trying to give you a message of, of wisdom according to our culture, right? And oftentimes... If you're, you're discerning, the message is oftentimes it's all about you. Look out for number one. Take care of yourself. And now there are proper boundaries that we should hold and we should, have, we should indeed take care of ourselves through, through God-honoring rest and all of these kinds of things. But the message of the culture is look out for number one. And so if your relationship gets difficult and, and you feel like you don't love them anymore, then just end it. Because there's no, there's no consequences to that. Yeah, it's a, a little bit of a hairy deal in the court, but that's worth it, 
right? And so the message of the culture is, don't worry about trying to work through that difficult relationship. Don't worry about anyone else. Look out for number one first. I mean, the message of the culture over and over and over again through all these avenues is telling us that success is wealth and power and influence. Now, I'm not trying to be a, 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 a freak out pastor that says you should never watch TV again and you should boycott everything in the world. Right? I'm not that guy. But I do think that we ought to just be honest with ourselves and say that there is a message that the culture is trying to tell us and indeed is telling us. And what's important for us who, who walk in the way of the cross and, and, and walk in the way of Jesus and the kingdom of God is to be able to, to discern those messages and bring them into accountability with the message of the kingdom of God. And sometimes they align, right? Sometimes the wisdom of, of the world communicated through Oprah is actually not that bad. And other times, it's horrendous when, when brought into accountability with the kingdom of God. And so what we have to be able to do is discern that. I'm not, I'm not on the boycott train of don't expose yourself at all to these, these things. Now, there's some discernment involved, but that's what we have to do, is be able to realize and recognize that all the time, every, all, all the, every day, there are messages being sent to you about what wisdom means according to the world and according to the culture. And so Paul essentially says, there's this wisdom, right? The wisdom that you see on the streets of the philosophers and the wise guys who have their messages about what it means to be human and all these kinds of things that are walking the streets of Corinth. History and kind of historical evidence shows us that those who were rich would actually hire a wise guy to live in their house and teach them. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, some of you are thinking, man, I wish I was rich enough to hire a wise guy, right? So I could live with a wise guy. But that, so we have this, what Paul is essentially saying is there's this wisdom of the world. And then there's the wisdom of the cross. The self-giving love of Jesus Christ on the cross and the power of the resurrection. And so he says this, and what we learn from the wisdom of the cross, of course, is that we don't look after ourselves first, but rather we look after others before ourselves. The wisdom of the cross says we work through difficulties in marriage and in in relationships because that person matters to God and they deserve honor. The message of the culture says don't forgive them, they've hurt you. And you should do your very best to hurt them back. And, and the offense that they placed on you, you should offend them in an even greater way, and you should up, up the ante, right? But the message of the cross says that forgiveness is actually the portal to the power of God in your life. Because God on, on the cross, Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're up to or what they're doing. And so we have these messages that come through in the cross. Love one another with a self-giving love. Care for those who are in need. Success does not equal wealth and power and influence, but rather success is, is equal to healthy relationships, a great marriage, time to spend with those whom I love while I honor God honoring Sabbath, right? The wisdom of the cross seems like foolishness at first, but in fact, it leads to the very power of God in our lives. Now, the point of all this, of course, is that 
this way of life, this forgiving, this self-giving, this loving, this honoring way of life appears to be foolish. I mean, come on, if you live that way, then you're going to be taken advantage of. You're going to be exploited. You're going to be run over. you got to stand up for yourself. But in fact, it's not a weak way of life. What Paul essentially says is the message of the cross. For those of us who are being saved, it is the very power of God. Do you want to experience God's power in your life? Start living in the way of of the message of the cross. Start living according to the wisdom of the cross. Because that's going to lead you to experience God's power in a phenomenal way in your life. Is to take this this message of Jesus who stands perfectly in the middle. Whose righteousness is, is made available to us through faith. And say when we approach every situation. When we approach every decision. We say not what, what does the wisdom of the culture and the world say. But what does the wisdom of the cross and the message of the cross. What does the, the kingdom of God call me to do in this time. And what does the kingdom of God. What does decision should I make and what is that calling me to do through the, through the inspiration and the leading of the Holy Spirit it's a powerful way to live this forgiving, this loving this sacrificing way of life is absolutely powerful when we place it over against the, the apparent wisdom of the world now Paul uses language here that is absolutely phenomenal He says, to those who are perishing and to those who are being saved. Now, what we have tended to do is that we tend to, and this is not an indictment against the church or anything, but we have have, uh, this sort of propensity to place everything in the past tense, right? And so we talk about getting saved, which is in the past tense. And we talk about, uh, you know, someone not being saved, which, of course, is still in the past tense. And so what we do is, is we, we talk about the, the actual beginning of the journey as being the end. So let me give you an example. And let, let me kind of flesh that out a little bit. We talk about us being saved as though it is the final step in our spiritual journey. Right? If we just say that prayer and get saved, we're good to go. And the work is done. But Paul flips that on its head. And he says, not to those of you who are saved, but to those of you who are being saved. Now, this is great news because a lot of times when we, when we, when we make this decision for Christ and we are, quote, saved then we make that the end of the journey and there's no more improvement to be made. But Paul says, those of you who are being saved, in other words, there was a decision in which you decided to follow Jesus Christ. But there's also a whole life of being formed more and more into, your, into his likeness. So in that moment of decision, you aren't saved. You're at the very start of being saved. It's a great picture of of God's continued work in our life, which is is good news for us. Because sometimes we look back and we place guilt on ourselves. Oh man, if I was saved, I shouldn't do that. 
But Paul says, look, there's, there's no condemnation now for those who are in Jesus Christ, right, Romans? He says, you are currently being saved. In other words, you are being formed more and more into God's likeness. So if you mess up, it's, it's not that it's like God says, oh, you know, that's cool, it's okay. It's just that God says, I've got that covered. Because I stood perfectly already in the middle to cover your sin. And I've got that covered. So now keep on walking with me as you are being saved. Does that make sense? It's a phenomenal picture. And so I would encourage us, just as a church, I would challenge you to, to kind of drop this idea of, of just being saved and that's it. I would, I would prefer that we just kind of say, you know what, there was a point of decision and now I'm being formed more and more into God's likeness and so I am currently being saved as I walk with Jesus Christ. Because we aren't yet perfect. Now, there's also good news because he says those who are perishing... And a lot of times we, we tend to place that in the past tense as well. Oh man, that person, they practically in hell already, you know? <laughs> and we're just like, remember last week? Lord, if you can save them, you can save anybody. But they practically in hell already, you know? And what, what Paul says is those of you who are, are perishing, and the message, the implicit message is it's not too late. If you are perishing, it is possible for you today to move from our perishing to our being saved. I mean, that's the, that's the good news of the gospel, right? Jesus has stood perfectly in the middle through the wisdom of the cross. And he says, look, if you're living in ways that are, are antithetical, that are against the message of the cross, if you're living according to all this wisdom of the world, then you will find you are perishing. Right? If you find in your marriage that you are looking out for number one and number one only, you have, will have a bad marriage and you are perishing. But if you will move over to the message of the cross and begin to live selflessly at your workplace in your marriage, then you will find that you are being saved. And it is the very wisdom and the power of God that you are experiencing in your life. And so I I just want to say to you today, if you find yourself and you say, man, our perishing, our being saved, I'm the perishing one. Because I have lived according to the wisdom of the culture for so long that I've lost touch of what it means to live according to the kingdom of God and the message of the cross. The good news for you today is it's not too late. There is, in fact, hope for you. There is no sin which you have committed that is outside the reach of the redemption of the kingdom of God. In fact, I would say to you that Jesus has already taken that sin that you find yourself so guilty for and nailed it to the cross. Because the Bible says that he took on the sin of the world. Past, current, future. All the sin of the world was placed upon Jesus who himself had no sin so that through him we might become the righteousness of God. And so we have this this idea, this, this theological truth that while the work of Christ is indeed finished and complete, you have been reconciled through the cross of Jesus Christ. And what Corinthians says and Paul says in 2 Corinthians is now be reconciled. You are reconciled, now be reconciled. And so, if you find yourself perishing this morning, it's not too late to move into you are being saved by the power of God. Phenomenal, 
language that Paul uses here. Now, the idea that I want to get to get across is that the wisdom of the cross, the message of the cross, actually takes the wisdom of the world and it flips it upside down. It's an upside down thing, this kingdom of God. That forgiveness and love and, 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 and self-sacrifice is the way to the power of God in your life. Not holding grudges and looking out for number one all the time. It flips everything upside down. And so what I would just encourage you and call you to do as you move into your week and to the busyness of your lives, I know that many of you and all of you are so busy. We just live in a busied culture. And we face decisions every day, all the time. I would encourage us to, to, on our journey of being saved, could we this week bring the cross and the wisdom and the message of the cross a little bit more central in our lives so that we could say and begin to ask ourselves, what does the wisdom and the message of the cross, what would that invite me to do in this situation? at this time, for this decision. And I I believe on the authority of the word of God that you will begin to experience the power of God in your life for reconciliation, for forgiveness, for breaking that addiction. Whatever it is, God is big enough to overcome and you can live in victory as we live, not according to the wisdom of the world, but according to the wisdom of on the cross. Now, I want to show you a video that I feel like demonstrates how the cross flips everything upside down and that the wisdom of the world is not nearly the wisdom of God. Let's watch this together. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the very power of God. I believe that God is speaking to many of you this morning about what he wants to do in your, in your life, and as you look at this passage, you realize um, that you're living in ways according to the wisdom of, of the culture instead of the wisdom of the cross, and you find yourself perishing. And God is inviting you to move from perishing to being saved. I would invite you to do that and respond to God in that way. During While the band plays this next song. And beginning a relationship with Jesus is very easy. It's the same way that you would begin any relationship. Just by speaking to him through prayer and confessing that uh, your sin before him. And that you have lived in ways that, that have led to perishing. But rather you want to now live in ways where you experience the power of God in your life. It's not a magic pill. It doesn't mean that life will instantly become easier, but it will mean that you have a hope available to you beyond compare, that you have a peace available to you that can be found nowhere else as Jesus Christ has stood in the middle for you. And so if you want to respond to God in that way while the band plays this song, I would invite you to, to do that um, by simply praying that prayer and then filling out a connection card on the lines on the back. Just say, I've made a decision for Christ today. We do that not so that we can bug you, uh, but so that we can just simply contact you and come alongside of you in your brand new journey of faith with Jesus Christ.
So I would invite you to do that. We're also going to receive our tithe and our offering uh, in response to God for this is a great way to place our trust in God and to let him know that we depend on him and we believe in him regardless of what circumstances we may be facing. We're also the elements of communion are available for if you'd like to respond to God in this way, you're welcome to do so. For this is the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. Preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Let's respond to God together.